0: Hello everybody, today's episode of Dame
1: Baptiste Questions Everything is brought to you by the National Lottery. They've asked us to delve into a question that's had all our minds racing at one point or another. What would you do if you won the National Lottery?
0: And we're not alone. We're joined by comedians and hosts of one of our favorite podcasts, Nobody Panic. It's Stevie Martin and Tessa Coates.
2: Hello. Hello.
0: Hello. <laughs> uh. How's it going?
3: I've just won the national lottery. <gasps> uh,
0: no, you haven't. You have
3: you? Yeah. Really? Okay. So guys, here are the rules. You've just won the national lottery jackpot. It's the stuff dreams are made of. What would you do at that moment?
0: Just call my mum. Just call my mum. That's all Lovely. we do. Just, just, just give her a call and go, mum. There's, i uh, got some news. She'll be pumped because she likes, you know, she likes a few money. Yeah, she likes um, a couple of quid. Yeah.
2: Think I'd immediately go to toilet, o- go go to toilet on myself. <laughs> yes, Stevie, and I'm not I'm not re-recording
0: that bit. Well, we can all celebrate in different ways, can't
1: we? Yeah. I, think, I think I think that's the most that's the most that's the most genuine way of of realizing that two people with a giant check at your door would make you react, to Stevie. So I think that's fine. That's, I would, that's very truthful. Me personally, I'm more of a, I'm more of a cautious optimist with uh, a lot of strong bladder control and trepidation. So I'd be like, I'm going to see that in my account, and I'm not waiting three to five business days before. I'm and with then you. I'd be like, hooray! And then I'd be celebrating and people were like, sir, you must put your clothes on. You're in a residential area. And I'd be like, I'm going to buy this residential area!
3: <laughs> <laughs> I, wouldn't, oh, yeah. I wouldn't tell anybody. I'd keep it really secret for a long time and I would just let this, the knowledge drive me insane.
2: <laughs> You'd be like, is Tessa, that, is that a Burberry trouser yeah. you're wearing? Just one trouser yeah, you're wearing? Or absolutely. just suddenly, it's like a gold It's a gold hat. How are you
0: going to celebrate? How are you going to let everyone know? Are you going to do a party or what are you going to do?
2: i think a party for how rich you are feels wrong <laughs> i
0: think i think a party for, i think a party
1: for how rich you are is just basically like you create in a chat room for your uh future thieves they all meet in the room <laughs> and it's like look at howard look how much money he spent on this he doesn't deserve this and then everyone comes together who knows you who has time to cake it's basically like you're making your own oceans 11 so yeah. i wouldn't throw it in people's face right away i think i'd start off with some acts
0: of philanthropy first uh, you know? I was going to wow. say, I think
2: I'd save some whales, like research, like a, a good one, and be yeah. like,
0: I'm not hey. doing any. I'm not doing any of that. I'm definitely doing something more stupid, like making a cake of whales like yeah maybe yep. a whale yeah. cake and i and i ask you all <laughs> to this.
2: actually it doesn't take a yeah. lot of money to do that I
0: don't yeah. yeah yeah i'll drop like half a mil on this giant whale cake right and you're all going to yeah. turn up and it's going to be like this big thing like a david blaine event howard i think it's very important Given a cost of living crisis to create feelings
1: of goodwill, I think I the people turn nah. against nah. you, Howard, at this point. The nah. They can turn against you very easily, Easy. Howard. I've turned
2: against you, Howard. Yeah. I really want to know Dane's most extreme scenario he can imagine.
1: <laughs> right. <laughs> the most extreme scenario I can imagine is investment in a company. I'm lactose intolerant, and I know many uh, people around the world share that pain. I know and so this So I become the Ben and Jerry's of the lactose free frozen treat world mm. where I can offer delicious treats which are completely lactose-free and made with sustainable packaging. I don't think you understand how big, big ice cream has been ruling the world for years. Yeah. No one's ever challenged them. Now I get to challenge big ice cream. Born and Jollies, even better. So hug and, there hug you and go. Dane.
0: Hug and Dane will do. Or
1: oh, hug, oh, hug, hug and Dane. That's another name. Then It's you then, with a hug with your arms on the cover anyway. Go exactly. On, on. And then finally, my, my opus. The Afterlife Festival to resurrect the majority of celebrities that were lost in the 2016 Celebricide when so many celebrities died at the same time and they all come back for the same festival. You want to hear Robin Williams read poetry? Then you come to the Afterlife Festival. Who headlines? Amy Winehouse And Tupac And basically I have this record label Which basically operates In international waters So any recording artist Who's bound to a record label Who can't make a song With someone they want to They come to Dame Baptiste Island And you can make Whatever music you want And release it To your fans Because we're a sovereign nation And a record label That also sells ice cream (laughs)
3: That's that lactose free. Right? Very
1: entrepreneurial. Yeah. Everyone's on board. Everyone loves it.
3: Excuse me. I'm coming in. Number yeah. one, I sort out the Pacific garbage patch. Done. Thank Oh yeah. Amazing. Yep. Cleaned Thanks. up. Yes. I actually Cheers, ha- I've thought about a plan. I scoop it up with one of those pool nets. Done. Sorted. Number two, it's a lock in M M&M and M world. <laughs> We're all going. Oh yes. Everyone's Which one? In. What do you mean, which awesome. one? No, the one. Which
1: the, are the M&M houses. The Eminem M&M M&M houses work like Soho houses? Like there's one in London, <laughs> one in Malibu. This,
3: this <laughs> one's that one on Leicester Square that you always walk past and you think, what's in that? Me, me mm. having the most fantastic party of all time. I'm going to have a lock-in at Body Works, which is next
2: door <laughs> to m M&M World <laughs> with all of those terrifying skinless bodies. And we're going to go head to head. And but then ultimately form a coalition Thank and you. own
3: all of Leicester Square. Yeah. Yes, bring, bring, bring it back to the people. This is, this is oh, yes. <laughs>
1: needs to bring that Trocadero. Yes,
0: finally it's coming back. Um, here's a question: Would you move house if you won the national lottery? Uh,
3: no, I'm going to live in my tiny flat forever. Now, of course, I. <laughs> <laughs> <Well, laughs> I'm out of there. I have a house like the Browns live in, in Paddington. And then I have an, another massive house out in like the Hebrides or something. And I just, um, it's like richy rich. It's got everything you could want. You you put your laundry, like you just put your laundry through the wall and it goes like spirals down into like one of those big Sweet. laundry things at the bottom. Every room's got a slide. I've got so many fireplaces that you touch and then you spin into a secret room. I've got, ah, I've got the, um, the, 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 the ladder. In the library, like in Beauty and the Beast. I've got one oh. of those. The dream where she gets pushed along. I've got one
2: of those. I've got everything. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's That's it's yeah. just crying. Yeah. So, listen, guys, how long would you stay humble for? Do you think the, the cash would go straight to your head, Stevie?
2: I mean, have you heard what anyone said? <laughs> like, oh <my> <laughs> I think. That would actually be the one thing I'd be genuinely frightened of is how I'd psychologically deal with having loads of money. And I think I'd be really good at it and I'm not going to delve into it any further. I'd be very supportive
3: of you and I think you'd you'd really take it in your stride and you'd just always be like, drinks are on me. I'll pick up this bill. All the time. All the time, you know?
2: And then I'd do an Edinburgh show about it called I Won the National Lottery, obviously, because that would be great material. That's a
1: really good idea. Do you know what I would do? Maybe what I would do for one year of the National Lottery in order to reclaim my humility is that I would pay for everyone's show
3: that's nice oh that's mm. so nice, a, nice so you do like a
1: you do a first come first serve and whoever gets their entries in for like the show or we just and we just cover the cost of everyone's like all the free fringe all the paid shows that would basically be how I maintain my humility
3: last one if we all won our individual jackpots and then we pool all our money together and as a collective group a syndicate if you will what are we doing with our collective money
1: I would like to recommend The purchase of a uh, Media channel So we could put out stuff That was varied and diverse And truly representative Of the British creative industry They're all welcome On Steve BBC
3: (laughs) Steve Ah, mine was very similar but maybe they're they're a combined force that we have our beautiful channel but can we also buy a really beautiful theater and then can we have um comedy and art and poetry and dance
2: let's create an alternative to the fringe festival and get back to its
3: roots to be like a pool of like creativity it's a it's a theater and every single night of the week everything that's on is five pounds that's it it's it's for everyone that's so
1: so cool and it's and it's like for like civil servants like if you're a nurse or you're a doctor or a firefighter it's always subsidized you can go for free i think we should do something involving ice cream ice cream uh, in the theater
0: howard how have i ended up uh, doing uh, winning the lottery and i'm somehow involved in a bake sale that feels like a (laughs) quite a low level a lot of 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 ideas come back to cake
1: though howard well thanks to national lottery for allowing us to live out a life full of newfound riches i know my next move will be to get a ticket punch in my lucky numbers and make all of this a reality
0: so remember the national lottery it's where your numbers make amazing happen whether that's a big jackpot win or national lottery players raising funds for good causes across the country
1: hey guys it's Dan here from Cornwall and you're listening to Dane Baptiste questions everything my question is what is the main reason you stay up late okay here comes the show and remember question everything Hello everybody and welcome to Dane Baptiste's Questions Everything, a podcast for myself, comedian, writer and occasional actor Dane Baptiste, my producer friend Howard Cohen aka The Hizza, Hey, and a mix of very special guests pose the questions that need to be asked and we are talking everything from...
0: Everything, everything from Dan from Cornwall's question, what is the main reason you stay up late, Dane, because uh, of your job, is your answer isn't it? I'd
1: say so yeah My job makes me stay up late But also I feel that uh, I have some Attention deficit disorder Which means uh, I'm afraid I'm going to have Or I should say a more fear of FOMO If I go to sleep That stuff's going to happen While I was asleep And I'm sure that Things like social media have Exasperated that And also because I definitely buy into The maxim that uh, I don't sleep Because sleep is a Cousin of death Which is a Congolese Proverb which is probably not as serious as that, because I'm sure that I can pick stuff up in the morning. Sure. But I think normally, yeah, it's an overactive imagination, and also, yeah, the line of work I'm in that makes me stay up late. What about you, Howard?
0: Yeah, well, it's the it's baby, keeps me up, you know. Uh, so that's now my reason. Whereas previously, it would be... Um you know, I got uh, on it. I got hammered, and then I kept up. I would see how long I could kind of last, really. And you know, that's it, really. No other. <laughs> nothing more exciting than that, really. That's it. And those are, those days are gone at the moment. Let me tell you that much. Very limited partying, but. Uh, let us know listeners why you stay up late and suffice to say on this podcast we ask and answer all the questions don't we Dave
1: absolutely no question is too big too small too sleep inducing and or too awakening so if you like the show please rate and review on Apple Podcasts or follow us on Spotify and you'll never miss an episode or you can subscribe to us on Acast the world's biggest podcast network where you can hear all of the very special questions being asked and answered by our very special guests with that being said on today's show is a comedian and award winning actress best known for playing Zainab Massoud on EastEnders, Goodness Gracious Me, Open All Hours and Death in Paradise, just to name a few of her various TV and film credits. She is a highly regarded actress, acquiring many awards through her career, such as Best Comedy Performance at the 2009 British Soap Awards and the Outstanding Achievement in Television Award at the Asian Awards. On top of all of the above, in 2021, she was appointed an OBE in the New Year Honours List for services to entertainment and charity. And she is a great friend who I recently starred alongside on Money Bags. Check that out at your risk, I should say. Uh, that being said, I am at no risk when I tell you that we are very delighted to have our guest. Please welcome Nina Wadia OBE
0: to the show. Hello. <laughs> hey. <laughs> After such a big, grand, like a really big, it was just hello. just, hello. Uh, <laughs> uh, how, how are you? Yeah. You well?
4: I'm I'm really good. I'm really good. I was just waiting for a curtsy from both of you on yeah, Zoom just, before I start. A... There we go. Now I can talk.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what reasons do you stay up late, Nina? Oh gosh. Well I'm an
4: insomniac. I think that kind of Ooh, says right. it all really. But Punish
1: Awards by the sounds of it I'd like to think. I hope so.
4: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, I've I've always been a bit of a kind of a night person and i um i just just in terms of like I, I think i've got an overactive imagination and uh on top of that now being a mum, i'm a worrier um you know in fact my husband and myself had this discussion about the fact that men can compartmentalize at the end of a day whereas women can't we just you know if some there's a problem in the day we're thinking about tomorrow would just worry the whole night whereas he goes Yeah, there's a problem, but there's nothing we can do about it because it's two in the freaking morning. Go to sleep, and then he just literally says, "I just compartmentalize." And I'm like, "How do you do that? Can you teach me?"
0: Yeah, I I I don't think so.
4: No, can you not? Are you a (sighs) warrior?
0: I mean, that's not your question, I know. But no, I mean, I I, I think I understand you know, it. Kid, your kids are going out, are they? And, and like, you know, being...
4: Yeah, kids. I'm a teenager, but it's not just that. It's just, it's everything. It's what's happening, you know, in my career or what's happening with my parents-in-law or what's happening just with friends. You know, there's so many things. And then I'm always forward planning for like, oh, well, I've got to go up to York for this job. So I've got to pack and then I've got to make sure the kids are okay. I've got to make sure the dogs are all right. There's just constant stuff. Whereas you know, he just switches off. It's like, you know, it gets about midnight and he's like, his brain just stops or something. So yeah, goes, cl- cl- close
1: for business hours we'll take it all on tomorrow. Yeah. Which is, is, I think is a, is a very effective way of dealing with it, especially when it's uh, situations or variables which you have no control over, which is uh, yeah. something I'm trying to learn very slowly to embrace is that sometimes, you know, you just have to accept the things you can't change and then use as much of your power to uh, affect change when you can. Yeah. Then obviously I'm sure you have to go for an inventory of the things that you can change and you can't change and that can also keep you up at night as well. But I just, think, I just cool. think creatives, are just a, we're just a nocturnal species. And I think sometimes yeah. when you've had time to reflect on the day or take in um, events or phenomena, then uh, you tend to reflect on that a lot more maybe than the average person because you've got the free mind to do so. To yeah. these I just things.
0: watch football. It helps me really zone out. Uh, that's that's why I recommend (laughs) to you Nina just watch football it's it's quite boring actually football uh, when you actually spend enough time watching it it's quite boring so, no, no, um, Howard, I feel like...
4: I, no, I, I love football, yes. but I mean, honestly, oh yeah, no, I would, I would end up screaming at the screen for no apparent no, reason. No, no, so. but
0: you'll be like, if it's like, you know, <laughs> 11 o'clock at night, put a game on that you have no vested interest in, that's, you know, yeah. and just just let it send you to sleep. Um, <laughs> I will try. Yeah. It's probably time for a question, isn't it, Dane, as the format of this show tends to dictate? Absolutely, Anina, as our very esteemed
1: and long-anticipated guest, we'd like to invite you to ask the first question, which we'd like to discuss with you for about 15 minutes and some change then my producer friend Howard Cohen here would like to pose a question to you which we'd also like to discuss for the same amount of time and then following up with the trilogy in this sequel I'd like to ask you a question which we discuss for about 15 minutes or so and then we would love for you to tell our listeners what they could find out about your good works thoughts and deeds past, present and future how does that sound?
4: Sounds fantastic. I we'll The
1: <laughs> floor is yours to ask the first question.
4: All right. So uh, I thought long and hard about this, which is, can men and women
0: truly ever be equals? Hmm. And, and, and the inspiration for this question has come from, I imagine, a number of threads in your life.
4: Yeah, very much. It, it actually started with my 15-year-old son right. um, kind of being irritated at school by something. You know, he there was a play that was being put on at the school and there's a few boys in his class who actually like performing, but a lot of the lead parts were given to the girls. And he said, why? Why is that happening? Because there's so few parts for the boys and then the parts that are there are given to girls to play boys when we're perfectly happy to do it. So, and uh, apparently it's because, you know, it was... I think they called it Girls Week that week or something. And it was literally just to empower girls and young women and make them feel like, you know, that this is their time, um, which I do feel that the last, you know, three or four years especially, it is time for us to be allowed to express ourselves more than we've ever been able to do before. Mm. We've fought for equality for so many years. But I kind of feel like with him asking me that, and I try to explain it to him and say, look, you know, there's always more male parts than female parts in a play, nine times out of 10 anyway, from my experience from the last 34 years of acting. So I said, maybe it's just to give, you know, girls, because there always seem to be more girls interested in drama than boys, Mm. at least that was the same growing up. And he said, no, I get that, I get that. And I thought, well, you don't really, because, you know, you've not been around as long as I have and understand how much we have to fight for every single thing. But I was also torn because I thought, well, actually, you know, if there are boys out there who want the boys' parts, they should be allowed to go for them first. Mm. So I was just really torn, and that's where this
0: question came from. It's a wonderful question, and, and I think it would be fair to say that that these issues have have cropped up on this podcast at times. Maybe not as succinctly as that, but you know, it's uh, but it's it is a really good question, right, mate?
1: No, it's a, it's a, it's a great question, and uh, uh, I think it's. The the reasoning behind the question adds another dimension to it as well, because obviously it would make sense of as a woman and as a woman who's been in the creative industry that you'd want you would support an initiative that does empower women. But at the same time, if your own son is very uh pure hearted in his objections to it um and is someone who believes in an egalitarian society for women, it might be very hard for him to explain what appears to be a discriminatory practice. That yes. The, the only thing I wanted to caveat, maybe for myself, before we ask the question, is that are we doing this on the supposition that we're talking about people who are cisgender or transgender? Because I think this now, and it's such a on-invoked this uh, topic that I think it might uh, affect how we have this discussion now in terms of uh, equality. So I would say myself. I think the issue is, look. At, I mean, we, we have to look at the paradigm of patriarchy and, how the, and the inequality that women have faced historically, um, because obviously this also lends to the question. And I would say that the issue is maybe not equality, but equity, mm-hmm. because um, you would argue now that for a large contingent of women predominantly based in the West, maybe are experiencing what looks like more equality than they would have had before, but for a larger, uh, group of women who are outside of the West, they wouldn't, they are still yet to observe any kind of equality, which is why I say equity is important because equity would be an example whereby showing us on what appears to be a discriminatory practice isn't really a discriminatory practice. It's because it's almost as if it's like you are dealing with a, uh, marginalized group that has had less for so long. That initiatives like this are needed just to catch up. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like when people say, you know, equality is now that, remember, as a black or brown person, you are able to be in the same spaces as your white counterparts and vie for the same opportunities. However, mm-hmm. equity means you would have the resources or have the, yeah, or have access to resources that historically your white counterparts would have had, because let's say it's much easier to be able to for maybe a job in a creative industry or a role, if, for example, you don't have to work like everybody else does because your parents are able to bankroll it or you're not able to take advantage of nepotism because we know in most industries it's not what you know, it's who you know. And if you come from a long line or from a family or a dynasty whereby they can provide you access to these resources or opportunities, whether or not, you know, you and a black or brown person is going for the same job because you've had the historic or previous competence or transgenerational uh, competence, that still kind of gives you an advantage, even though we say that the playing field is level.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, um,
0: but that play, even playing field, is the is the bit that I actually think uh, you need. Know, that we, we we will always struggle for. The world will constantly struggle for balance in whatever you're trying to to deal with, right? Where there is an injustice, and you know, I was saying, I think it was. Um, a few weeks back to uh, one of our guests i think it was uh, karina white uh, dane who came mm. on
1: oh yeah, the, yeah.
0: and i, I remember it, i was making the point that in my opinion having watched my wife create two human beings with her body uh, which is uh, mind-blowing when you actually conceive of what it is um and then basically being reduced uh, now this babies here you know to, to nothing more than a, than a butler really is a, a you know obviously a subservient role to the person you're butlering for you know i'm rightly a second-class citizen in that scenario and why is that not permeated more of society you know the idea that we don't value the creation of human beings the thing that sustains our civilization <laughs> and the people who do that my argument is you guys should get an extra like 10% tax break because you're the guy you're the bloke you're the guys inventing people
1: or at, or at very least more time off from maternity leave
0: well you know, I mean you can whatever it is do you you know I don't mind what it is. there's got to be but that's where I would say actually if you were being if I was being honest I don't think we want equality I think we want uh, inequality for men <laughs>
4: I, think, <laughs> yeah.
0: I think that's potentially well, a better move
4: you know what I'll tell you, so I'll tell you about a little incident on the tube the other day so I'm sitting in a carriage. Uh, it's just men in the carriage. I walk in, I sit down, and a pregnant woman walks on. Not a single man gets up to give her a seat. I get up and offer her my seat. She, as she sits down, says, thank you, and mutters under her breath. She goes, chivalry really is dead. At which point, the man sitting next to where I was sitting turns around and says, well, you wanted equality. You got it now. Oh, what a fucking... And I thought, what a... <laughs> yeah, just thought, I'll say it. What
0: a... Dickhead! That bloke was. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely.
4: absolutely. <laughs> but in his mind, in his mind, he thought equality means I don't have to be kind to another human being. Mm. It means now I don't care if you're a woman or mm. pregnant. It's just general. I mean, I'm likeness. not. Give, I'm not
1: giving up my seat because I don't have to because I want to do it for a man. And yeah. see that. And this is, and this, is and this is why I say the problem is with equality is that equality really in terms of the uh, dichotomy of men and women. Can only happen with equity. And so, yes. Howard's given a very valid example of equity whereby the homo, sa- homo sapiens as a species require the female of our species to be able to reproduce um, in order for us to have to continue our species. So- but
4: in fairness, we, we need the men too to be able to <laughs> yeah, do that. But yeah, you know what? No. I mean, yeah, you, you say need
1: that. you say to create, that. create a child by the same time, by that same token, that has to be further extended in that <laughs> the uh, gestation period or nesting should be as mammals, then there is the, then there's the responsibility for men. If we're going to those traditional roles of men being partially responsible for creating life, but at the same time, if we're going back to like women having kids and being, and the whole hunter gatherer thing, men maybe uh, collectively should providing the most stable and healthy yeah. environment for a pregnant woman in the first place. Because let's say, for example, something happened on that tube, or let's say you're underground and Nuclear Armageddon happens while you're underground. Now, if you focus on that quantum of maybe the carriage that you're in and you are the last people left in humanity, the person who really is most integral to making sure we survive would be a pregnant woman. Hmm. So it would be, it would make sense and it would be the remit of the men on there to keep her as protected as possible because in the same way that, you know, drones and bees within a beehive have to protect and serve the queen because if you don't, they are able to reproduce as a species.
4: Yeah, I, I I get I get that I get that I'm I'm um and I fully agree with everything you're saying. I just for me, if even if we just start with the with the everyday, right? We start with the everyday, and um you know you you kind of wake up. I I wake up the same as my husband does, thinking, okay, today I just want to have a happy, healthy day. I want you know to make sure my kids are okay. I want to make sure you know maybe I've got some fun work to do or you know, I have a nice thing to look forward to. Um, I just find that we have the same kind of dreams, ambitions, goals, but to get to those goals, it seems a bit harder for me, or it has always felt a bit harder for me. And one of the reasons, apart from being an ethnic actor in this country, one of the other reasons is because I'm a woman. And I feel that there is not as much opportunity or not as much forward thinking unless there's a special case made for it, mm-hmm. like with BAME or Woke or something. Yeah. It's almost like it's considered a disability. Mm-hmm. That's how it feels. It's like, we, you know, um, and I just wish that that would go away. I wish that it would not have to be, okay, we're going to cast someone. I mean, I've had scripts sent through that say, can be man or woman, or if it's, uh, you know, or can be brown or black actor. I've had scripts sent yeah. with things like that, but they would never write the script first with someone like me in mind. Yeah, And that's the bit that makes me angry because I think, you know, well, why, why is that? A, a, why am I a special consideration? Why am I not just thought of as, okay, well, yeah, yeah, well, let's get Nina to do this. That is something that bothers me. And that makes me think, Will that equality ever come in? Will, will the thought from from a writer or a producer or a director ever first be, yeah, I like that person because they're good at what they do, not because they need a woman because there aren't enough women. Yeah. We need someone brown because there aren't enough brown people. Uh, you know, there was a joke my agent once made for me when she said, God, I wish you were a lesbian with one leg. You'd tick all the boxes right now for work. Yeah. And I was just like, yeah, actually, probably. But I don't want people to ever hire me because they want me to tick a box. I want them to hire me because they thought of me first and thought maybe I'd do the best job. I'll tell you
0: what, I'm going to chime in as a producer, right? Okay, go on. Because I remember when I started doing this job and I was obviously junior at the time and I would be just in a world that was, you know, predominantly white, nothing more than that. It really was an abnormality to see anyone... uh, of a different uh, demographic on, on screen. Uh, and also, all of the people I worked with were white. Um, I mean, I'm a Jew, so like I fit in with them, right? But ultimately, I know there's something different uh, between yeah. us. You're possible. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> because,
1: because, because, because Howard, as I'm sure you're more than aware, when it comes down to it, when. In this instance, if you're talking about white Anglo-Saxons, when they want to uh, galvanise and remember who they consider to be white, they yeah. all know you're a Jew.
0: Mm, of course, man. Of course. They, well, the, they, they know that we're replacing them, did not they? Um, they? So, <laughs> uh, yeah. uh, anyway, so, so I think in that time, let's call it a decade. It's probably about a decade. I've definitely, as we all have, witnessed uh, an increased desire to represent different people. Now, that doesn't mean... That the people who are doing that, who are trying to implement that, have the sufficient uh, skill set, uh, communication-wise, to, uh, and also uh, almost like a, a kind of like I'd almost describe it as an environmental uh, disposition, like as in as in I'll give you a, you know a couple of examples in my life. I watched a man at a comedy club about ten years ago, and I saw his show at Edinburgh. And I've been doing a podcast with him for the last four years. And, you know if I would have been blindfolded and never had any notion of what Dane looked like, I, I wouldn't have changed my opinion about his material. Like I identified with his work, you know, um, yeah. I met a comedian who we've had on the show called Esther Minito, who I, I think is a really talented comedian. And when I met her and I helped direct her first Edinburgh show, you know, I just, I was so enamored by the fact that this was a, a woman with um, kind of uh, Essex, Arabic, kind of Anglo, Anglo-Arabic kind of background. And I found her just a very entertaining, as we had her on the show, Dan, just a really unique presence. And and so for me, and I maybe I'm a minority, uh, but for me, I'm driven by those people who aren't like me. Whereas I guess when I started, you, would, you start and you're driven by, oh, I, I'm like that person. Oh, that's who I should work with. I'm like them. And I think if more people are like me, and I'm sure they are more and more happening, that you're... You're saying, oh, no, it's the, it's the difference with this person. You know, I'm working with a 17-year-old rapper from Birmingham. I don't have a lot in common with this guy. <laughs> yeah. But I love what he's doing. And I love, yeah. you know, so I hope uh, I'm not an island in this industry. I know I'm not. There's people who feel the same way.
4: Yeah, there are, but they are few and far between, I'll be honest. Uh, well, I we're think weeding them out.
0: We're going to weed them out, Nina, because I tell you what, good. they are often... Um, uh, what kind of swear word do I want to say, Dane? <laughs> fuckwits. Yeah, fuckwits. <laughs> and actually, often really unpleasant, toxic people, as we've discovered through the yeah. history of um, all the crimes that a lot of people have committed uh, behind the scenes yeah. in many high-profile jobs. So um, yeah. I, I hope... I hope, Nina, that, yeah. that this is going to change and you'll get that balance that you're looking for.
4: I hope so. I hope so. But it
0: was <laughs> a, a wonderful question, though, Dane. I love that. I mean, just uh, it's also, you know, as two blokes talking to you about it, and we have to, you know, try and be. <laughs> but I think we did a pretty good job, didn't we? Or...
4: I think you did a great job. <laughs> okay, and I
0: represented my industry of, you know, without sounding too kind of like I'm trying to defend it. We'll be back after this. Welcome back to the show. Well, I always got like a set of questions for this show. Like, I have a bundle in my notebook that I, 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 you know, when it came to this question with you today, I was going to have a few in my mind. There's one of that was really stupid. So, I'm not going to, I'm going to actually change it because you started talking about the fact you've got teenager, teenager children, right? Mm -hmm. Now, listen, I'm just going to be blunt. How the fuck are you managing teenagers <laughs> at this point in history? Because at this point in history, we are in the end times of uh, our, you know, all our generations. Uh, it's yes. all changed so much. Yeah. Honestly, just start talking through this minefield you must be in
4: well so is it, is, it, is it okay
0: to ask is it a, a one boy uh...
4: oh, yes yeah, so my daughter's 18 right. and my son is 15.
0: right so you've got we've got both and sexes great right
4: both sexes and so i've i've experienced uh <laughs> I've experienced it both things in very very different ways and they are very different um the best example I can give you I'm going to go back a few years to, to show you the difference between the two of them and this is quite standard with a lot of you know, parents uh, of my generation or in fact, generations before. So my daughter at the time would have been about seven. My son would have been three and a half. And so I picked him up from nursery and I picked her up from her little primary school. And the whole way in the car home, my daughter was, Izzy did this and Lauren did that. And then she stepped (laughs) in my car and then he pulled my hair about, and it didn't stop. My son, not a word, in the back of the car, just strapped his chair, completely zoned out, just completely zoned out, just staring at either outside the window or my daughter. We get into the house. I'm helping him take his shoes off. She's taking her shoes off. And then the teacher said that, and it wasn't fair, and blah, blah, blah. And all the way into the bathroom to go wash her hands and whatever. He's still just standing, staring. He, I can see he's trying to say something, but you can still hear her voice. so He still doesn't speak. She finally comes back in the room and I said, Okay, Tia, Tia, okay. I've, I've heard everything you've said. I said, why don't you, um, um, go get changed and, and then, you know, we'll, 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 um, I don't know, watch some TV or something. Blah, 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 blah. She goes into the room. At which point he takes his opportunity. He looks up at me, hand straight down his pants and goes, snack. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> <laughs>
4: the difference between having a boy and having a girl i pick him up i put him in front of the sofa i put i think it was gumball i put oh, it on great show yeah and then oh fantastic show and then the, all you hear still it shows on and he's pushing the remote control button to get louder and louder because all you can hear is and then what happened was la, 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 straight into the room and the and the other kind of main difference even at that age was if, if there is a, a, a dispute or a fight between her and me, which there is constantly because she's a teenage girl and I'm the mother, so I'm public enemy number one, um, she won't forgive very easily or forget. Whereas if he comes at me and we have a little kind of spat, within about a minute, he's like, sorry, mama, I shouldn't have said that I was rude. And it's done. Wow. Finished. Over with. So there is this this pattern of things. I mean, to give you my favorite example with Tia was when the pandemic hit and she had just she was finishing her GCSEs and you know, they had to do all the tests according to their mock results and she never got to actually finish the GCSEs. That's when her anger really set in, that kind of hormonal just kind of wow ah, rage. And it was because she said, this was meant to be the summer of my life, Mum. This was the summer where I don't have any more exams. I don't have to think about anything. And, you know, and of course, the announcement was made by the government. You can't go outside, blah, blah, blah. And she turned to me in anger when I she was getting dressed. Oh, and I went, where are you going? You're not allowed to go to anyone's house. You're not allowed to do anything. What are you doing? And she turned to me she went, you did this, you caused the pandemic. <laughs> I said, and she did it in all seriousness, you know, as a 15 year old hormonal kid. And I went, Yes, I'm an evil genius. <laughs> I did this so you can never go out. We'll this get time. a lot
0: of listeners on this one if that's true, but the uh, <laughs> yeah. <a> revel- revelation. <laughs> but they, so but they it- must be, I mean, just the I don't know how they because have well, you, how you, know, you
1: answer a question have you respond to a statement like that like right. say, you, well, you I, no, I,
4: I, I deal with it with comedy yeah. that's the only thing I can do because teenagers will say the stupidest yeah. most unreasonable things you have I mean we've all been there you know well, we're
1: there now because like that's the thing with social media social media is human brains being teenagers yes like our, completely our, our consciousness on social media is teenage because that's how long our presence has been alongside AI and that's why yeah. We're oversensitive people just make outlandish nonsensical statements that come across as hate speech because they have no factual basis or no grounding in yeah. history. And that's, and that's what I mean. It's like a teenager. Teenagers will, will say the wildest shit or make up a narrative. Yeah. And you're like, what was that even fucking well, come from? And if you have absolutely. enough people to do that, you've got a QAnon movement on your hands.
4: <laughs> it's true. So, it's yeah. absolutely true. Well, I'll tell you what, I did this experiment I would love all parents of teenagers to do this experiment. Just worldwide but it's you know this I actually did this so she was when when all this happened with the with the pandemic of course the only place to go to was the phone and I thought you know what I'm just I hid it I took it away Hmm. I hid it and it was a very naughty thing to do but I did it within literally less than a week I got my child back I got the nice Hmm. loving caring young girl that I had brought up and it was because she didn't have that constant, this person, yeah. you know, they, they've got a pool, so they, they're jumping around their pool right now and they've secretly invited someone over, or the, you know, the kind of FOMO stuff that was going yeah, on. Yeah. But I, I urge all parents, and I know it's naughty <laughs> and I don't care, but I urge all parents to hide their children's phones every once in a while for a couple of weeks because you get your child back mm. because they have to talk to you. And we, we ended up, actually bonding again we ended up laughing together we ended up her not being so angry with me all the time Mm. you know and it it makes a huge difference i hate social media if i didn't have to be on it because i'm an an actor and i genuinely only on it because i'm an actor it's um, a work
0: thing right that's it it's a work
4: thing It's a work thing. I'm not someone who posts that this is what I ate or this is what I drank or, you know, look at me in this dress. I'm just not that type of person. I use it for two things. I use it to promote the work that I'm doing and I use it for charity work. That's what I use my social media for. However, having said all that, it did save me during the pandemic because it was my son who said oh, mom, you're driving us crazy. Because I was going a bit crazy. And as as were they, I think, because we're all creatives in this house. I mean, I'm in a studio, my husband's a composer, my children drum, they play piano, they play guitar, you name it. So I created this lockdown mother character, because that's who I was turning into, (laughs) where my children got more and more abusive towards me as the lockdown went on. And I thought there must be other parents experiencing this. And, you know, we started to laugh it off as much as we could. But genuinely our kids turned on us, Mm. you know? So I created Lockdown Mother, which then they joined in on creating and we got through Mm. it that way. But It sounds
0: like you've got an incredibly healthy relationship with
1: your children And a a lot of patience as well.
4: Yeah, well, (laughs) I mean, it comes from, I think, the opposite growing up. So I had quite strict parents growing up. So I wanted to make sure that I gave them a bit more leeway. Now, there's a positive and a negative to that. The positive to that is... My children tell me everything. They're quite honest and sometimes quite shocking for me. But <laughs> but I don't mind that because I've always said to them from day one, you can come to me for anything. And I mean anything. And I have to, as much as it burns inside when they say stuff to me, on the outside, I play it very cool and I'm okay and I'm calm. Mm-hmm. Then I take time out to process what they've said. And then we come up with a solution. Whereas in my day, it was, you know, if I, like, I don't know, fancied a boy or wanted to go out or something, I had to hide it all. Mm. You know, there was no way because my mom would be like, no, you know, it's (laughs) not happening. So I wanted to make sure I had that relationship. The only mistake I think I made, I think this was my older one, which I'm now hopefully not going to make with my younger one, is I think I befriended her too much, a bit younger. Mm. So she wanted more I think, in hindsight, probably guidance and parents. She wanted the mother figure more than the friend, and so I'm not making that mistake with my son. Mm. Where I'm making sure that I'm more mum and not, you know, the other way. Yeah. Though she's off to university in a couple of weeks, we were just doing all her paperwork, and I burst into tears because I just thought, "Well, <laughs> oh, no, she's going to go now." And I'm <laughs> like, it's
1: "No, not
0: have to get quality, Nina. you've got to mm. stay so strong, mm.
4: stoic." Mm. <laughs> I can't. Stone for
0: this. Well, I think no. there must be many listeners with maybe some teenage kids who've been very inspired by your uh, oh. your your analysis of that, and uh, you know maybe you've you've helped someone, uh, and uh, maybe you've helped yourself as well by by you know just-
4: lots of reflection. Yeah. I, I I truly believe. I mean, the you know as a parent, like one one bit of advice I can give to younger parents is change with your kids. Hmm. Don't, you know, because this thing happens and it happens normally when they're teenagers where you suddenly, everyone goes, oh, you've turned into your own mother. You know, it happens. And and actually, yes, you have to because they're going through a rebellious phase. But at the same time, you have to do more listening than talking. Yeah. As much as yeah. you well, know they're talking we, You know what?
0: I don't think that applies to, I think that applies to every bit of life. Uh, yeah. Do, do more listening.
1: Oh, yeah. uh, every every conscientious and respectful relationship you have listen more than you talk but yeah. i think it's particularly important for like your own children because i think that sometimes as guardians of those authoritarian it's very hard to uh seed that space for kids to speak because a lot of the time they'll give up the game you know the stuff you want to you know, once you find out more about somebody and have a context for who they are then that yeah. allows you to you know have more leeway in terms of trusting your kids because you can see what kind of person they are and how they'll cope or deal with certain situations i mean it's very easy to say for me i don't have any kids because this is all this theory But I guess my my strategy would be like to try and remind myself of who I was as a teenager and try to be the parent that I would Because as as a teenager, I used to be like, my parents are fucking psychos. They're fucking insane. (laughs) They are psychos. They've turned this house into an embassy where British law doesn't apply. They're they're, they're, they're Gestapo. And I can't understand how these people are so close-minded. But then, and this is all based on the fact that they gave me a curfew. I'd be like, these people don't respect me at all. They have uh, made this house into an apartheid. My room is the apartheid of this house. And I'm a marginalised member of society within this household. Mm. And I'm oppressed in this domicile. But now, at this age, on reflection, I would try to do it exactly the same way, which I never thought I would do. It's all down to all the smallest things. Like even the fact that my parents used to be, I thought they were being stingy in terms of how often I could get sweets. But then I was in, I had a root canal last week. And I was like, this is why.
0: Yeah, <laughs> this is fun- this
1: is fucking why they yeah. were right the whole time.
4: Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we, we we have the same things here, but I I will say that I, that uh, the adjustment needs to be made about change my um you know i sadly lost my parents quite young but i so i never got to see that if that was going to happen with them but i i want to make sure that you know it does happen more and more because we talk so much about mental health all the time you know we we talk about it all the time and actually their mental health these teenagers during lockdown was affected mm. in the most horrific way the fact that they are still you know sort of functioning uh, you know right now <laughs> is a big miracle but I mean, there, we heard horror stories of kids who sort of ran off for a bit. Kids who, there's there one kid we heard of that literally set fire to their outside shed just to get attention. Right. You know, it was like it, there was no one that was really listening to them because we yeah. as adults have to go, okay, right, this is a virus. This is very dangerous. We could die, blah, blah, blah. And we can somehow, you know, make sure our brains understand that. As a child psychologist said to me, actually, um, there's no point arguing with a teenager. And this was the mistake, again, I made, you know, there is no point arguing with a teenager because the, the sign-ups at the front, that is not connected properly. That's what is explained. So that when they're angry, don't try and work out a problem That at that point. The best way to deal with an angry teenager, I was told, is to be quiet. Let them vent, say whatever nonsense they want to say. Let them go away, calm down, process what they've said. And if you let them do that without fighting back, guaranteed they come back and say, I'm sorry, because they've had then time to process what they've said. Well,
0: this has been a, almost a kind of educational uh, element of this show uh, this well, week. No, no, it's am- no, it's amazing. You see, you're, it's so detailed, your analysis. And it's, it's, um, it's
1: actually, and it's actually a really, really good point about the pandemic that I think is very much overlooked because, like ooh. I said, I think a lot of people... We're dealing with the existential threat of having to retrain for other jobs or not have a job available. Yeah. But yeah. at the time, I, looking back, it's like, I remember remember the film Outbreak with Dustin Hoffman. Mm.
0: Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. I remember
1: that thinking, holy shit, as a teenager, like thinking a fucking global pandemic, that's scary as shit. They mm. lived that. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. They lived that. Yeah. And, you know, it's like thinking as a teenager, like you can be in a classroom with a teacher and fucking hate them as an authoritarian, yeah. but I only got to suffer this person for an hour before I get to walk away and you breathe out. Whereas at home, when you have your, you know, uh, arch authoritarians in the form of your parents, you can't leave. And that alone, in terms of like the boundaries and restrictions that that entails and or or how your expression might be somewhat curtailed. Like as a kid, when I was when I was a kid, like I wasn't a bad kid, but I definitely acted out outside of the home because my parents were so strict. Mm -hmm. And kind of where the comedy came from, having to live with my parents for a year in a pandemic when I knew I couldn't leave. <laughs> I don't know what kind of person I would have turned into. So no, I well, think it, was a, very it, it was a great
0: answer to the question. Thank you so much, Nina and Dane and no um, Dane over to you, man for the last question of this brilliant episode.
1: Well, Nina, our listeners may not know, but you uh, approached us with three excellent questions and we feel like we picked one of the best ones, but then that being said, I feel like for honorable mention, people should know how good the questions were. And so I'm just going to direct <laughs> One of your great questions back to you. And the question okay. is, in your opinion, and yours as well, Howard, when you as a uh, creative former, have reached the apex or the peak of your career, is there really anything on the other side?
0: <laughs> <laughs> for, someone,
1: for someone who is an accomplished uh, television and film star uh, and somebody who has been, also been a uh, writer and as well as a producer, uh, as well as being a member of the Office of the British Empire, what the fuck left do you need to do? And, oh, oh, well, as a, well, a wife and a mother as well. <laughs>
0: Is there a high point of your career that you feel, if you looked at it, what, what was the high point?
4: Here? So, here, so here's the thing. I've had several th- points that I consider high points. Uh, one of them was, goodness gracious me, when that show came out. And I remember doing that show and thinking... Oh, as long as the Asian audience gets it, I'll be happy. You know, I genuinely thought we were making the show just for other Indians or Pakistanis or Bangladeshi's, whatever. Then I'd gone to Canada. I'd come back when the show had been out, and then in Oxford Street, someone shouted my name, and I went, "Hmm," and thought, oh, "I don't know who you are," and I thought, oh, "Did I have I worked with the Are You my friend? I, I just couldn't figure it out." And they were like, "Oh my god, we love that! Goodness gracious, it's fantastic." <laughs> Oh, I thought, oh, this is weird. Anyway, it started to take off. And the next thing we knew, we had series after series. And we literally were very rock and roll. We did a live tour that was like uh, across the UK. It was sold out. It was genuinely the time of my life. And for me, that was one of my absolute peaks. Mm. That happens. And then, of course, you know, you've done your live shows, and on your tour. You've done three or four years worth of work. And then the show we decided we weren't going to do anymore. We wanted to go out on a high. And I went off to my other job. And I suddenly felt very depressed and low and thought, oh, I I don't know what I was expecting to happen next. You know, like, okay, I'll do this show now. And then I went off. There was a comedy called Perfect World with Paul Kay, which I loved. I I enjoyed that a lot. And then it sort of plodded along for a few years. Um, And then EastEnders happened and they asked me to create this character, and again, I had another peak where, you know, this. I, I again created this character thinking, you know, um, Pakistani Muslims will laugh because they know what I'm trying to do. Um, and then this character took off. And again, <laughs> I hit this sort of peak and I thought, oh my God, okay, this is fun. Again, like you finished that. And I thought, I've done six years worth of her and I got sick of her. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, I'm, 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 I'm over it. I'm not that type of actor who can just do the same job for the rest of my life. I it's not for me. I have to keep creating. So I left the show. Again, this massive depression. And I thought, What is this? Like so what 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 was I expecting? And I, I did this sort of mindfulness exercise to go, What do I think is going to happen now? Like well, what can what can happen next? Mm. Then I get the news about this OBE and I think, well, that's a nice thing, isn't that lovely? What a special thing to happen go, I have a great day. <laughs> it's like, I, I genuinely, it's me. I'm thinking, what do I think? If this is the peak, what is meant to be over there? Am I meant to find nirvana? Am I meant to find God? Am I meant to find, like, what is it that I am looking for? And I, the conclusion that I have come to on a lot of reflection on this subject is that actually what you really want is not what's over the mountain but who's with you, behind you, helping you get up that mountain? Mm. And that is what I'm finding now, age 53, that actually I've been looking in the wrong direction. Mm-hmm. I should have been enjoying everything that has happened and is happening to me there and be happy with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and my brother, who funny enough has got a job currently out in Dubai, he's, he's going through something similar. And he said to me, he said, uh, I've got a new mantra. Do you want to hear it? And I said, sure. And he goes, my mantra is everything is temporary. And I said, okay, well, what, what do you mean? And he said, if you're having a bad time in life, it's only a temporary time. It'll pass. You'll be okay. If you're having a great time in life, it's only going to be temporary. So just really enjoy it. Enjoy every minute of it while it's with you because everything is just temporary. And if you live life that way, actually you'll be a lot."
0: <laughs> it's a really great answer, eh, Dane?
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah. It, it's, it's yeah. a great answer. It's so much easier said than done, I think, because... Yes. Because <laughs> I want to tell you as well, because... And it, and it, it might, and this might be the symptom that I have, is that I've had some uh, career uh, highs, mm-hmm. but this feeling that I see, maybe people articulate in social media or when I see people are presented or when people get an award, where there's sort of that tone of, like, having been... Arrived or being validated, I've never really felt that a lot of the time because a lot of the time when because at the same time while I do appreciate that everything's temporary whether it's good or bad, I think some of the experiences I've had because I've not been in control of the uh, end of that journey, um, I think maybe that's where the feelings of dejection have come from. So yeah. I'd have a show. So I, I had a show in 2020 called Baymus, which did really well. Well, ratings did well critically acclaimed and then didn't really go to series and inside I was kind of like still chasing a proverbial dragon where I'm kind of like I just want one chance to sh- showcase the entirety of my creative ability and at least if I get to do it and just have a run then I can be like okay now I can walk away because I've given it all I can and like I said leaving on a career high like with goodness gracious yeah. me I could, I you, where, you leaving? where are you leaving of, for?
4: No, 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 no. That's the thing. I'll, I'll help you with that, Dame, because that's exactly where I was at. Because we always feel that we need that one show to show what we can do. But the truth is, it's doing all the other little bits and everything else that shows who you really are. So honestly, let that dragon go. Mm. <laughs> because it's, it's in chasing that that we don't enjoy the journey. You know, it's in chasing that because actually, like, because I always go, I'd love my own show. I would love my own sitcom or something just to show, you know, what I've learned, what I can do. But the truth is, actually, in doing all, all these other things, people know what I can do. And people, and I, instead of me enjoying it this time, you know, all this time, I've been kind of going, oh, yeah, this is a nice part, but I really want to do this.
1: Yeah. Well, but, then I, but then I worry, honestly, am, I, am I then conceding that I have, that I, am I, Allowing my potential to be curtailed by being too aware of my limitations or conceding to those limitations because of people. No, like, no, no, no,
4: no, no. <laughs> this is more about ambition. Mm. This is more about ambition. We all have our own little ambitions but where it's it's ambition versus reality Mm. you know don't don't it doesn't mean you need to let go of your ambition or let go of your dream or let go of whatever it is that you want what you're aiming for what i'm saying is don't forget to enjoy the journey on your way to that don't let it be all about that
0: i think every week or two on this podcast i say the same thing the old equation dane happiness is reality minus, minus expectation. expectation and the expectation oh, i love that the ex- i love that the expectation look i met dane a long time ago let me tell yeah. you he fucking exceeded expectations of what yeah. or that you had of yourself at that time i don't think you would have believed what you'd achieved in that next how many years mate and yet the, the the wheels turn the the thing that was there uh, you know front and center Uh, a period in your life let's take this as a really interesting example just for dane but then i'll move it on to other areas of of creativity right but like when i met dane if i said you'll go and be on live at the apollo right it would have been like mind-blowing right how many times did you do apollo twice right yeah yeah right so you not only did it once you did it twice right and then you know, if I said to you now, "Oh, Dane, go and do a bit of stand up on TV," you'd be like, "Sure, great," but it wouldn't blow you. I mean, you just do your job, right? It's not like a yeah. so it's 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 it- and that's because you're in a different phase. And I think phases are a very interesting. You talk about temporariness, mm-hmm. uh, Nina. You know, phases are an interesting element of all of this because in a lot of worlds, you know. So if we all went back to, I remember you told me about your old job, Dane, doing. um yeah, sales, James. sales. Nina, space. did you ever have a job that you didn't like? That was you. You've always been in the creative. I,
4: I did lots of other jobs to support the, this yeah. main job. If you'd have yeah. done
0: like yeah. a, an off, you know, something that you were not necessarily yeah. like, kind of those things are are kind of constants, really, aren't they? The work what? isn't changing. You know, I worked at Burger yeah. King as a child, and if I went back there now, the whoppers would still pretty much be made the same. That wouldn't have changed. Where is terribly. <laughs> Yeah, terribly, yeah. Mine were (laughs) actually pretty good, mate, but let's not uh, put that to the test. Nina, and this is just a quick
1: side question. Have you ever been in Burger King and actually seen a flame going (laughs) out of a grill? I've never seen a...
4: I've been so disappointed by that. I've (laughs) never seen a flame
1: grilling taking place in my entire life. I have seen a pigeon in a Burger King kitchen before. Yeah. I've never seen a flame grill going.
4: Is it delicious, though? <laughs> I mean, it is,
1: all right. The king, uh, king fries are also an abomination, but that's an aside. Yeah. Sorry, Howard.
0: It's all right. Well, my, my point is that, that there is a 99% point whatever percent of the jobs in the world are constants and do not have the same level of phases as creative life does. And in the creative life, you're often inspired, I think, by the things that you love. So in my case, I grew up on sitcoms. So my yeah. dad... God rest his soul. we had all the videos, Only Fools and Horses, Forty Towers. I've got my brothers, they I snuck in really young to watch young ones, bottom, you know, those things. And then and then at some point it, it shifted even further because I ended up finding Seinfeld, uh I ended up finding um uh, Frasier, Everybody Loves Raymond. Just
4: sounds like my life. Yeah. yeah mine <laughs> too. These are all
0: these are all the things that inspired me. So when I got into television, I was like, I'm gonna make the great sitcom, right? And I can tell you guys. I haven't done it. I haven't done it. I've worked on some scripted things. I've had some scripted things that have been on television. I'm very proud of those things. But my "Everybody Loves Raymond" hasn't happened, right? Now, what has it? Ha- I've got a script for you. No, but, yeah. <laughs> but what ha- what what has happened is because you sought. You know, you, 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 the, 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 the walls and the barriers to create that project. You look, what other barriers can I overcome, right? And so, you know, I ended up, as Dane knows very well, uh, falling in love with my wife. She had a cat. I had to befriend the cat. I after, after found- how many date After how many dates, Howard? yeah about half a dozen or so and because uh, <laughs> Howard I still
1: believe that is the premise for a good oh, sitcom right. That's,
0: oh you mean my uh, you mean my 79 <laughs> dates to find my yeah. wife yeah yeah, yeah. No, that, that was a different thing. But the cat, you know, the cat, I had to like, I didn't like cats. And, you know, that, that I, I befriended this cat. I realized that the cat was quite funny. And this is why people are watching cat videos, Nina, right? And then yes. I went into work and said to my boss, hey, uh, I want to make a game show for cats because I think it'd be really funny. He kind of wanted to fire me because I wouldn't stop talking about it. And, <laughs> you know, after a load of arguments and doing work in my evenings, we got a pilot. It got rejected. But I kept going because I was sure it was a good show and we ended up with three series of play your pets right on Sky I sit beneath the BAFTA certificate that we won for it and that is a phase of my life that I will probably never experience again because you were trying to validate what I was trying to validate a bit of my my being, which is, oh, i love animals and I'd love to see them play games and I think people would find yeah. this funny. So I'll never do that. I'm never doing that again. <laughs> again, do you see what yep. I mean? So I, and last year, I ended up making a documentary series about some rappers from Bradford uh, and uh, it just got nominated for a Grierson, which makes me sound like Surprise! I really know what I'm Surprise! talking about. I must really sound like, I didn't have a clue what I was doing. It was a complete mess, but it was, it was, it was a phase. It's a phase of my life and, and, that's the thing about being creative is what I'm trying to say is it can't, every bit of it is a phase and, and you just got to keep pushing on to the next thing. And when it goes wrong, what's the next thing?
4: Completely. And I'll t- I'll tell you one, the you know, one very grounding moment in my life that, that ex- you know, it, it kind of links to all of this stuff we've been talking about. The day that I'd gone and got the best comedy award thing, And I came home in this beautiful purple dress and we had just had a baby and our babysitter was looking after the baby. I got home and I gave my little baby girl a big cuddle and she vomited all down my beautiful purple dress. And I found myself on the floor in my dress, cleaning up her vomit and thinking, wow, what a night this has been. (laughs) It just grounds you to the things that are the most important. And that's why I'm saying, please, please, please remember, no matter what else happens, there ain't anything over that mountain. Mm. What you do have is what is in the present. Enjoy every single second of it. Um, Enjoy the journey because that is the most important thing because that is where the fun
0: happens. Well said and well said in terms of... What this podcast is—it's been a brilliant, brilliant episode, right, Dane?
1: No, absolutely. I, I think I definitely needed to hear that because uh, a large part of the reasons I stay awake at night, and uh, also for this podcast, is because I question everything. But um, yeah, maybe um, try to question the process a bit less, or realise that the questions are part of the process.
0: Um, my my yes. thing that I keep saying at work—sorry, one more bit of uh, you know yeah. antiquated, uh, you know nonsense—that comes out of my brain—is uh, half of everything is doing. And, and, it, and every time I say that, it, people go like, oh, yeah, yeah. I'm like, no, no, no. Like, literally, the other half of the thing is meaningless because you didn't do the thing. Just- yeah, do it that's like half half the battle yeah. well I've loved this episode Dave.
1: no absolutely um, it's been a long time coming but uh, definitely worth the wait and I guess that's be, uh, that's how the journey works um, so thank you very much Nina uh, for coming on the podcast no well, thanks
4: guys um, I've, I've really enjoyed this honestly I could do this all day yeah,
1: uh, <laughs> and we'd love to as well but we know that you are very busy and uh, but I'm sure that listeners that have heard this episode would love to know more about where they can find out about your good works past present and future so let us know what you've got coming up please
4: um, so I um, I'm um, in Sandman at the moment, uh, which is a lot of fun. Uh, the Outlaws, hopefully, another series of that coming out. That too. Um, I
1: love Outlaws, it's so good.
4: Uh, thank you, it's great fun. Um, I've written my second little book called The Heartheads that's coming out soon. Um, it's literally based on our family's little children's book, so hopefully, people will enjoy that. Um, and uh, yeah, I've, uh, I start on a new series, it's going to be on uh, ITD's new streaming platform, X. Uh, and it's going to be called Count Abdullah. Mm. So that'll be out soon. Exciting. <laughs>
0: yeah. Thank you again for making it a really great episode. Here.
4: No worries. Honestly, I've really enjoyed it. You guys are so easy to talk to. This wasn't even work. <laughs>
0: <laughs> You've been listening to Dame Baptiste Questions Everything, hosted by Dame Baptiste and myself, Howard Cohen. Our guest was Nina Wardia. You can follow Nina on Instagram at nina.wardia more from Dane and myself make sure you follow us on Instagram at Dane and at the Howard Cohen please don't forget to rate review and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts if you have a question for Dane make sure you send us a DM on Instagram at dbqe podcast, and we could feature you in our next episode thanks for listening guys and remember question everything